Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, Opus listener. This is Mijan Zulu, lead podcast producer at Consequence. In celebration of the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, we've opened up the Opus Podcast archives to re-release seasons focused on some of history's most legendary rap albums. Next up, we revisit Cypress Hill's self-titled record, a landmark of West Coast rap that pioneered the weed rap movement. What's more, Cypress Hill's own Be Real, Sendog, and DJ Muggs all joined us for this journey through the album's legacy. When you're done with that, You can find all of our Hip Hop 50 content on Consequence, including loads of artist interviews, essays, and more coming out throughout the month. So be sure to check it all out at Consequence.net. You can also snag some of our exclusive Hip Hop 50 merch at the Consequence shop at shop.consequence.net. And be sure to check back here every Wednesday and Friday for the next two weeks as we revisit Cypress Hill's debut record and continue our celebration of Hip Hop's 50th. When a genre is born out of rebellion, like rock and roll was, or outlaw country, or hip-hop, it's only natural that illicit activities and substances will make their way into a song's subject matter. I mean, did you ever really get into the lyrics of those sea shanties that were trending on TikTok a little while ago? It's basically just trap music for pirates. Hip-hop has its origins as an underground culture, so it's not really surprising that it would eventually intersect with marijuana's underground culture. And I'd even go far as to say that the union between hip-hop and marijuana changed how society as a whole views the drug. High-profile stoners like Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa and, of course, Cypress Hill, have become advocates for the drug's legalization and done more for Weed's public image than the hippies could have ever imagined. Cypress has done a lot for the culture. Musically, stylistically, linguistically, and when it comes to marijuana activism, politically as well. And when we talk about Cypress Hill and Weed, we can't just look at how much fun they're having rapping about it, smoking it, and rapping about smoking it. We have to also talk about the group's work and making sure that everyone who wants to can have that same fun, legally and safely. And those that need it can do so as well. As the venerable Chuck D told us in the last episode. Sometimes when people talk about Cypress Hill, they immediately go to the smoke. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's the outer layer. They're like, the smoke in Cypress Hill is like saddened. Rings. That's just the rings. <laughs> it ain't the planet. So, let's put on our spacesuits and blast off. We'll get metaphorically and literally, if you want, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. 
We'll get high enough to see the planet where Cypress Hill's activism lives and all of the rings of smoke that surround it. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins, and this is The Opus. Let's get toasted. Nicely toasted. On May 19, 1996, whether or not you knew what Cypress Hill was about or even who Cypress Hill was, if you were a Simpsons fan in the U.S., you were about to find out. The Homer Palooza episode of the show, which has long been regarded as one of the best episodes of the long-running series, gave us over-the-top versions of The Smashing Pumpkins, Sonic Youth, Peter Frampton, and Cypress Hill. Be Real, Send Dog, and DJ Muggs appeared as themselves and were totally psyched to do it. They'd been really choosy about their appearances up until then, but as fans of the show, they jumped at the chance. And though they were nervous about their first voiceover gigs, they ultimately provided some of the episode's most famous lines. And one particular exchange let those new to the band know about their recreational proliclivities. Hello, bands. Who is playing with the London Symphony Orchestra? Come on, people. Somebody order the London Symphony Orchestra. Possibly while high. Cypress Hill, I'm looking in your direction. Hey, man, did we order an orchestra? What's up with this orchestra? Where'd the orchestra come from? I don't know, man. Tell me about this, man. We gotta do do something. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, we think we did. Uh, do you know Insane in the Brain? We mostly know classical, but we could give it a shot. Cypress Hill weren't the only act in hip-hop talking about weed, but it was the way that they talked about it that made them a perfect fit for the Homer Palooza episode. They were already veterans of the actual Lollapalooza and had a unique sound that was the perfect foil for the London Symphony Orchestra. And in the 90s, weed had already been the topic for several hard rock songs, but Cypress Hill had figured out how to take those reins and make their hip-hop sound faded. Here's Hollywood Steve Huey from allmusic.com. I think that marijuana transcends genre <laughs> it's there's it, heavy metal has a long tradition of, of being stoner music like black sabbath in particular the the originators of heavy metal sang songs that were really explicitly about pot that you know, heavy metal is kind of the de facto soundtrack for marijuana use for a long time like after the 60s psychedelic stuff faded away it was like this low, slow, heavy, pounding, you know, very deliberate, distorted guitars might get kind of trippy, man. And, you know, it's, uh, 
sonically what captured the vibe of being stoned. But then Cypress Hill, their big innovation was they figured out how to make hip hop sound stoned in a way that nobody ever quite had before. By that time in the mid 1990s, it wasn't really that unusual to hear about weed and hip hop, but it was still kind of weird to hear about it so casually on primetime television, especially on a show that was seen by roughly 7.5 million households that night. In 2017, Sendog told Alex Robert Ross and Dan Oatsy of Vice that he credits that show with expanding Cypress Hill's fan base. Here's Be Real. You know, there's a lot of kids out there who even didn't listen to hip-hop necessarily, but, but they were cannabis activists and users, and they connected with us through through the activism and through the songs, obviously, that talked about cannabis. And it, it created a bridge for us that uh, we didn't anticipate happening. Who knew? <laughs> we did not know. We, we knew we were going to get doors closed on us, I think. I think, you know, we, we, we knew that there was a significant amount of pushback that might happen because we're talking about legalization and there was this whole say no to drugs, drug war thing that was going on and at the time, but we didn't believe that cannabis was a drug. We, did, we definitely didn't feel that. So, you know, we just stuck to our guns and <laughs> let the chips fall where they may, you know. The pushback against cannabis-themed music and pop culture that Cypress Hill was expecting not only never really came, but this appearance on such a mainstream television show helped to usher in the weed renaissance that we're currently experiencing. Much to Cypress Hill's surprise. We were big fans of high times. We smoked a hell of a lot of weed. Uh, we considered ourselves advocates or activists even at that young age. But no, we didn't, we didn't, I don't think any of us had a clue that we would become these uh, ambassadors or spokesmen for the culture. Eventually did become that, but it, there was no plan for that. It just sort of happened organically. And we went with it because, I mean, you know, we were all about that. You know, we were all about legalization. We were about learning more on how you get to that. And we made the right relationships with High Times, with Normal, which was an advocacy group going on to meet guys like uh, Ed Rosenthal and, and uh, Steve Bloom through, through High Times Magazine. And then ultimately meeting Jack Herrera, who taught us everything. I mean, that dude was our mentor in terms of cannabis education, you know, in terms of industry and culture. That dude taught us everything. I mean, you know, the shit that we put on our Black Sunday album were based, uh, the, the, ten, the 10 facts were taken from his book, which is The Emperor Wears No Clothes. I know that he'd be happy to see some of the stuff happening right now, rest in peace to Jack, but he'd still be fighting because there's a still a lot of work to do in a lot of these states. And even with some of the some of the legislation we got cracking off here in terms of cannabis. Some of it is, uh, it's cool, we got it, but they got to make it fair for, for people, you know, from the operators to the consumers. The message has always been this. Legal marijuana is a human rights issue. It's a medical issue, and it's an economic issue. And fairness within the game is super important. A level playing field is super important, and Cypress Hill was going to make it a part of their mission to see that all through. Yo, like, when it, when it
Artists as activists are nothing new, but it wasn't common back in the day for rappers and DJs to be taken seriously as agents for social and political change. Well, not most rappers, anyway. Chuck D was never not taken seriously, and one of the many things he admires about Cypress Hill is the way they put their actions where their mouths are. The music is the gateway drug. It dragged people in so they can educate them thoroughly on it as well, you know, as well as taking a rap, you know what I'm saying? They was saying that initially back in the 90s, man, when people are three and four years old, what do they know about? The only thing they're going to know about this is the song. Now we're in 2021, so everybody feel that educated about cannabis and started cannabis companies and, and then people who got locked up for weed can't get a job in the cannabis industry because they have no resume of that bullshit. You know, that angers be real to a point because he was way ahead of the game, a pioneer in explaining and fighting for it and even sacrificing. Joe Nicolo of Rough House Records also knew that sometimes it just takes a spoonful of hip-hop sugar to help the educational medicine go down. You know, how do you get the kids' attention? Well, you you talk in a way that their parents are going to hate, and then once, hopefully... Once you have their attention, then you can drop some science on them, because if you don't have their attention, you have nothing. And that's, I think, that's exactly how how Cypress approached it. But, you know, it was a win-win. Great music, got their attention, listened to the message. This message that came from people who had lived through the war on drugs and had witnessed firsthand what it had done to people and communities in Southern California was not lost on the guys from Rebel Diaz, who grew up here in Chicago. Here's G1. You had an entire decade of, they they want to call it the war on drugs, but it was a war on poor people, a war on on black communities, a war uh, on the Latino communities. Um, And so when you you have, one, just the the ability to come from, from certain neighborhoods and come together to create is to me is off top is you're 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 creating a sense of, of, of rebelling with that because your your voice is being put out there. And then also realizing again that 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 war on drugs, which really was that war on poor people that affected the West Coast so much in particular different urban areas, like you had also contradictions that emerged internally in our community. So in essence, Cypress Hill's message was a war on the war on drugs. Cypress Hill remains one of the biggest names in cannabis activism. Be Real has become a leading cannabis entrepreneur. He owns six Dr. Green Thumb dispensaries in California. 
He also sports a line of insane branded cannabis products, including several vape pens in collaboration with Grenco Science's G-Pen, the insane OG Pilsner, which is a lager that smells like weed, with the Atlanta-based Sweetwater Brewing Company. He hosts an infused cooking show on Vice called Bong Appetit, as well as producing Funky Feel Tips, a glass holder for joints. And in 1993, and maybe the biggest flex you could do on TV at the time, DJ Muggs lit up a joint on the Saturday Night Live stage before performing I Ain't Going Out Like That. And that got Cypress Hill banned from SNL for life. When groups like Fear and the Replacements did stuff like that, you'd call it punk rock. But when Cypress Hill does it, that's hip-hop. I asked the guys in the group if there was anything they wanted folks to know about them to close out this series. And Sendog had this to say. Something about Cypress that people don't know, um, that we get really stoned. <laughs> That's a bad joke. No, I think, uh, I don't know if people recognize, you know, the amount of work that it takes to, to have a, a group like this go and make this kind of run. The, you know, you have to prepare yourself mentally, physically, you know, for the road and, and whatnot. And I know we make it look like we're all having a good time on the stage or whatever, but there's some days that guys don't feel good or anything could happen. And, uh, you know, I think we have a very high professional, you know, standard. And I, I hope that, you know, fans recognize that one day that it wasn't all just smoking weed and getting stoned, that we actually, you know, put the time into to all these last 30 years, we put the time to make it happen. Like, in a serious manner. As for Be Real. I would just like them to know that we appreciate it more than anything because without the fans, we ain't nothing. We do this partially for us because it's our platform and it's our way of, of communicating, you know, what we've gone through, what we're feeling and everything else, right? Um, so it's up to fans to receive it and react and connect. And to those fans that have connected and this is our messages and our music is, have, has resonated to, we appreciate you and we love you. And we're gonna keep it moving and we got more banging shit coming. So you didn't know that, now you know. And I hope that what you knew and what you've learned about Cypress Hill with us has made you appreciate them as much as they appreciate you. For the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy, I'm Jill Hopkins and this has been The Opus. I'll see you soon. Well, it's the alley cat popping on a hoodie mask. Something got me criminal, but yo, I ain't all of that. Hit you with the baseball bat when you want to hell. Don't want to mess around. You get fucked on a hill road. Kicking like a steel choke. Too slow hits from the bong. Make me feel like cheat. And I'm kicking it with chalk. Just like cheat and chalk. Fronting with ice cream. Cypress Hill is here to give you a nice dream. Speak it like a roller and you know it's real tightly. I'm like a funky beat, so why you trying to fight? Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska name three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 8. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. 
There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks, and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Oberst, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts.